we're praying the way Jesus prays. Uh, we're going through the Lord's Prayer. And actually, if you'll look in your booklet, uh, when you get to the Lord's Prayer, you'll find that that part there is real similar to my notes. Because it is my notes. Uh, <laughs> so, if, but of course I've changed it since then, so I've adapted, so I can't uh, leave anything alone. So, uh, we, we've started with our Father who art, who art in heaven, uh, understanding who we are. We have, in Christ, we have a new identity. We have access to the Father. We have unbelievable access because of what Jesus has done for us. And we can go to the king. We go, it's this crazy, almost a crazy combination. We come to the Lord with humility and with boldness. And that, you know, we come humbly because we didn't earn our way here. It was granted to us through grace. But now we are the sons of God. So it's, we got here because of what Jesus did. And, but now, because of what Jesus did, we can come boldly into the throne of grace. So it's this, that seems like an unusual combination, humility and boldness that we come before God. So we have identity, we have access, we have an inheritance. And I, just last night I was thinking about this, our inheritance, what is our inheritance? Our inheritance is God himself. The, the greatest gift of eternity, what, what, what we're going to inherit in eternity is not a mansion over a hilltop. What we're going to inherit in eternity is the glory of God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We all have an appointment. If Jesus doesn't come before we die, we all have an appointment. On that day, on that day, we will wake up in the fullness of the glory of God. We will be like him, not him, but like him. And we will be transformed. This old body will give way to a new one, unburdened by sin or time. My mind will be the mind of Christ. Yeah, I'll still be there. I'll still be me. You'll still be you. I'll still love Tina. I'll still love my kids. I'll still love my grandkids. But now I will love everyone the way God loves them, which is far deeper than I've ever loved in my, in my best moments. Because there was all of my love was always mixed with a little bit of selfishness, right? Because of what I'm getting, I mean, what I'm getting out of it. But now I'm going to love the way God loves, and it's going to change the way that I think. So I'm going to love the way God loves. So you think, so are you, you, know, you going to care about your family in heaven? <clears throat> yes, like you care about everybody else. It's not going to be less. It's not going to be diminished. You're not going to love them less than you love them now. You're going to actually love them more than you love them now because you're going to love them the way God loves them. And now you're going to, you're going to have God's will and God's heart, God's mind. His will is my will. And I'm swept up. Then what is this eternity thing? about? I'm going to be swept up in, in the plans and purposes of God. And if it's before the end of, of time, I'm going to still be involved in bringing the lost to redemption and the plans of God and perfecting the, bo the body of Christ, the bridegroom, preparing the bride for the bridegroom. 
And then we're going to enjoy this inheritance for eternity. So we've got quite an inheritance, right? And then Tim last week talked about hallowed be thy name. Didn't you do a great job? Did you hear it? I would encourage you to go online and listen. Uh, He did a great job. Uh, Worship is prayer. Uh, When we worship, we are praying. And one of the things that's happening, the songs that we sang today, we are recognizing, we're not making God bigger, but we're recognizing how big God is. This is helpful in prayer because if you have a big God, it sure makes your problem smaller. I mean, so when the psalmist said, magnify the Lord with me, he wasn't saying, let's make God bigger than he is. He was saying, let us recognize how great God is. Because when you recognize this omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God that that we serve, then you recognize that in light of that, your problems are tiny. They're temporal. Every problem you have is temporary. And it stands before the eternal almighty God. It's, uh, so it's, there's no match. <laughs> he, he's always victorious. We said that he's always victorious. And And we look and think, well, it doesn't look like he's always victorious. He is always victorious. So I have a big God. You have a big God? He's bigger than my problems. So today we're going to talk about how Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is a kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? A kingdom is is an administration we think of it in human terms. We think about, you know, there's a lot going on in England now about the somebody's either opting out or getting kicked out of the royal family. I'm not sure. And I actually don't really care. But, and I know a lot of you do, but anyway, so I'm sorry. Uh, but in the middle of that, the queen made some pronouncements because she has... She has, she has a reign, and she rules in, you know, in a limited fashion, at least over her royal family, she does. And uh, so a kingdom involves a way of life. It's administered by a king. Uh, it's a way of life. So our way of life, our, God is our authority and rule. God, so our, the kingdom of God is everywhere that God's authority reigns. That's where the kingdom of God exists. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring the reign of God through Jesus Christ into everyone's life, everywhere. Jesus came to bring the reign of God. That's the kingdom of God. When Jesus said to pray, Tim Keller, in the Tim Keller's book, Prayer, about prayer, he says this. When Jesus said to pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he meant that the coming of the kingdom would be the extent of God's rule where his name is hallowed and his will is done the way angels do it, obediently and joyfully. So the reign of the king, you know, it's, it's not just saying that he's, in, he's, he's king, because Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? 
That's not the reign of the king. It's not the reign of the king if the king's not reigning. <laughs> Isn't that profound? Uh, so we should pray that every day. We should pray, Lord, bring your kingdom. Is everything here the way it should be? No. Is everything in your life the way it should be? No. So we're in, we should be daily inviting. Jesus, I, I need you to come and reign. I invite you to come and reign in my life, to reign fully in people's lives, in, in the world, in my family, everywhere. I want to I see the reign of God everywhere. It's the reign, it's the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus Christ read in the synagogue at his anointing after he'd been tempted in the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the, what does the kingdom look, look like? Well, the kingdom looks like, it looks like people, poor people, hearing and responding to the good news. And you think, well, why do only poor people get it? Because it's not talking about poor financially. It's talking about poor in spirit, people that are humble. And we get back to humility. A poor person, you know, a re- wealth is independence and self-control. If you have wealth, you have independence, self-determination. If you're poor, other people, you work for other people, they tell you what to do. Your life is determined by circumstances. But if you're wealthy enough, you can, in many ways, not every circumstance, of course, but you can rise above the circumstances. Most of you, without recognizing it, because you, know, because you see it comparatively, you don't realize that you're wealthy. Right? You, most of you are in the top 2 to 3%, maybe 5% of the world's wealth. You're, so, you know, we think, oh, I'm not wealthy. Because you're comparing yourself to, to there's always people that are wealthier. But this isn't talking about that kind of wealth. It's talking about to be, to be poor in spirit, to be humble. See, God comes to the humble. He gives help to the humble. He rescues the humble when we humble ourselves before God. So to be poor in spirit, he said, that those that, that need it are going to get it. Jesus went to those who recognized they had a need. So prostitutes and tax collectors, who, who the Pharisees and the Sadducees considered just the vilest of sinners, they came to Jesus in droves. But those who felt like they were so good already that they were keeping the law and that they were doing the stuff that they were supposed to, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they didn't, they didn't realize they were poor. And so they didn't think they had a need. So Jesus said, you know, I'm not here for the well. I'm here for the sick. 
So Jesus came for the poor in spirit. Jesus came to set prisoners free. It's great to, what's it like for a prisoner to be set free? Something has to happen. Something has to happen to the charges that are against you. They have to go away. The charges have to be dropped or they, they have to be satisfied so that you can be set free. Jesus came to set you free from the charges that the enemy has made against you. And even the the, the reality is he's right. You're guilty. But in Christ Jesus, the charges, every, every, every offense has been washed away in the blood of Christ. You've been, you've been set free by, in the name of Jesus. So, Blind people see it. And is this, I mean, Jesus, in Jesus' ministry, blind people were seen. I mean, people who couldn't physically see were, Jesus healed them. One of my favorite, my favorite verses is that a blind man, a great story in the Bible, a blind man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, would you heal me? And hearing that, it said, Jesus spat on the ground. And he made a little mud pie. You know, and the blind guy can't see this. He doesn't know what's going on. He's blind. And it may be, it may be actually what Jesus did. Here's the interesting part of the story. Is that, is that this guy may not have had eyes. And that when Jesus spat on the ground, he made a little round ball. And he... And he put them on the guy's eyes, and then he prayed, and they became, they went, you know, you know when you die, you turn back into dirt. Well, God just reversed the process. He turned them from dirt into flesh. However, that may not be what happened, but the amazing thing to me is that, you know, that he's standing there, the guy's saying, you know, I'm wanting God, I've, I've come to Jesus, I'm blind, I'm asking to heal me, and, and he hears, <laughs> and he's like, you know, and you're just, as the blind guy, you're thinking, I wonder what that meant. And then he touches you with you know, something wet and cold, and you're thinking, oh, but then when you can see it, pretty much erases all of the yuck factor, right? But there's physical blindness. Are there other kinds of blindness? There's things that, in other words, we're often blind to things. We're blind, we're, we're blind to, to, often we're blind to our own strongholds. We're blind to the things that bind us. We're blind to our own blindness. So Jesus comes, part of, so the rule of the kingdom is to set the prisoners free, uh, set us free, drop all the charges against us, and open our eyes so that we can see. I don't, did that happen to you? That happened to me. When I came to Christ, uh, I, I grew up in church. Uh, we were in church every time you could be in church, uh, my whole life. And back in the old days, we went to church a lot. Uh, you know, like, not like today where you, you know, just have to rumble in, you know, once a week or so. Uh, we went four or five times a week to church and, uh, cause we were more spiritual than you are. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> 
We just loved Jesus more back then. Uh, and, uh, but now all the preachers are lazy and we want to show up that many times. You know, I just want to, as everybody thinks, I just have to work one hour a week. So that's the good thing. I, I lost, totally lost my train of thought. I, so we were blind. Blind, you can't see. I don't know. Charges dropped. Blind. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> it looks like the bonds of, he says, he says, to set the oppressed free. To, op- to set the oppressed free. So many people are oppressed. So many people, so many of you are oppressed. It's, it's not, you're not being bullied at school. It's not that your boss is being hard on you. I mean, that's one level of oppression. But for many of you, your oppression is events that happened in your past. It's things, it's, it's family, it's abuse. You were sexually abused. You were physically abused. You were, you were wronged in some way. And that is something that has happened in your past. And yet today, in your mind, it is like it happened yesterday. The effects are exactly the same as if it is taking place today because you are oppressed by it. And Jesus came to remove oppression, to set the captives free, to set at liberty those that are bound. Jesus came. And that, so when we pray your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, we want, us, we want your kingdom. We don't want this oppression. We want to be free from this oppression because Jesus came to set the captives free. Amen? Amen. And the year of the Lord's favor. Which year do you get the Lord's favor? Did you already get that year and now it's gone? <laughs> So everything, so you had a good, you get one good year as a follower of the Lord, and the rest are the pits. What does it mean? It's, it's the favorable year of the Lord. It means every day in Jesus is a day of favor. It's a day of the Lord's favor. You say, man, I'm having a rough day. You're still in God's favor. This is, I want you to just declare that to yourself. This is the favorable year of the Lord. This, where I am right now, did God know where you were going to be? I mean, did, is, is where we are a surprise to God? No. So this is God's favor. This is, the, this is the year. If you'll see it, if you'll look for it, you'll see this is the year that God's grace is moving in my life. This is the year that God's spirit is working in my life. This is this. You think, this, this, this doesn't feel like favor. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, we were in Colorado. Uh, two years ago, two summers ago, we were in Colorado. And I was whining to God. Because, you know, it's the altitude, and I, I felt out of shape, and the reason I did, because I was. And uh, it, it wasn't just a feeling, it was the truth. Uh, and my knee was really bothering me, and climb, actually climbing is not hard with a bum knee. Going down is what's hard. And so, you, you know, you climb, and you think, oh, now i got to clunk, 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 the way down this hill. 
So I was like, uh, uh, you know, and God just, I felt like God just told me, uh, uh, you know, getting old is a gift. Not everybody gets it. <laughs> Isn't that true? Not everybody gets the gift. So, you know, so what do you, so you think, hey, this is the favorable year of the Lord. It, I'm still here. It's a good year. It's a good year. Amen. So how did he do that? How did he accomplish that? Well, he accomplished that for us through the cross and through the resurrection. 1 John 3, 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to destroy all those areas of bondage, all those areas of captivity, all those areas of discouragement, depression, despair, all those things that you think, oh, so that you'll see this is the favorable year of the Lord. You need to start telling yourself. You need to start declaring this. This is God's declaration to you. This is the favorable year of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, before Christ came, you had an accuser. Before Christ came, you had an accuser, but now we have an advocate. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now has, now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So Satan, before the coming of Christ, would accuse God's saints. But now in Christ, where there was, where Satan was, was trying to accuse you before God, now you have an advocate with the Father. 1 John 2 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So instead of having an accuser, we have someone who's standing at the right hand of the Father saying, Father, I know exactly what they're going through right now. Lord, what they need is grace and mercy and help and power and forgiveness and love because I know what they're going through because he went through it so that he would be a, an understanding high priest. He knows what you're going through. Isn't it hard to believe? Just think about it. It's hard to believe that when you sin that God didn't say, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. How many times How many times are you going to lose your temper? How many times are you going to do this? My goodness, I, I gave you grace. I gave you forgiveness. I gave you the word of God. I gave you the Holy Spirit. What else do you need? You're a loser. I give up on you. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? Instead, we, have, we don't have an accuser. We have an advocate. Rejoice in that. And not only that, Romans 8 tells us we have an intercessor. Actually, we have two intercessors, which is, makes it even more powerful. I didn't even go into that. We have an intercessor. So when you pray, the Bible says we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit prays for us because according to the will of God. So sometimes we don't know the will of God. And we can't discern the will of God. But the Holy Spirit, when we pray, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf according to the will of God. And also, when we pray, Jesus prays for us. So, every, you know, you think about 
You got two persons of the Godhead praying on your behalf. It seems like, you know, that's kind of like a positive thing, right? Romans 8, 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So we have an advocate that's interceding for us. Powerful. So that's so we should so we're praying the kingdom. Lord, we're praying for your kingdom, but God's kingdom is your reign. So we're saying, Lord, we want your reign in our lives. We, wanna, we want your authority. We want your will in our lives. And so then that moves into we want your reign. We want your will to be done. Doesn't that make sense? We want his reign and we want his will to be done. You know, part of, part of being a child of God is caring what he cares about. We know his will is perfect. We acknowledge his wisdom and his sovereignty. And so we, we get on, so what we're saying is we're going to pray your will. Lord, we, we, want to, we want to get on board with you and pray your agenda first. You know what we tend to do? We come, we come to God with our list. What if the first thing you prayed was his list? His heart, his will, his kingdom. So how do we know God's will? Well, primarily through the scriptures. In other words, how are we going to know what God's will is? Through his word. God has revealed his will through his word. God will never contradict himself. Like, in other words, you don't get special permission that nobody else gets. Like, God said it was okay for me to embezzle money from the church. And I, don't, I did embezzle some money from the church, and I don't know if I, the elders know about it. But when, when we were burglarized last year, we lost all of our books, so the, they were on the computer that got stolen, along with the zip drive to back it up was taken too. So everything that we had was lost. So our accountant, uh, Rick Piacini, had to rebuild it all from... The, from checks and everything, from bank statements, rebuild all of last year's books. Took him, you know, you can imagine that's a pretty big ordeal. So at the end of it, he called me, said, I, I'm concerned. I see that you've been embezzling money. I said, what, what is it? He said, you wrote a check to your retirement fund that was a dollar and 50 cents too much. He said, but the next month you... You wrote it for a dollar and 25 cents too little. So you have embezzled 25 cents from the church. And you know, it's not amount, it's the principle. So I confess to you, and I paid it back uh, the quarter. Our sovereign Lord who cares for us, part about being a child of God. Is caring about what he cares about. So God's going to reveal himself through the scriptures. He's told us what to do. And so he's never going to give me permission to do it because, and not give you permission to do it because it's in the word, right? In other words, I don't get to cheat on my wife. And I've, I've heard people, a lot of people, I've heard people say this. I've heard people that did sin, that sinned very blatantly. Let's say they had an affair and then when it, when it all came out in the open, they said, well, you know, God said it was okay for me. No, he didn't. That wasn't, I, you heard somebody, it wasn't God. That's called the devil. 
and you believed his lie. It was a lie. And I've heard, and we've all seen great people fall horribly because they believed themselves. They believed a lie. So we, we have to anchor our prayers. We want to anchor our prayer in the will of God. Pray the word of God. Know the word of God. So it's hard to pray if you don't know God's word. So you will end up praying your wishes, and you will end up praying things that are totally contrary to, the, to God's will. But So we need to know what God's word says. You need to go to Dave Duffenbaugh's class because you need to get anchored in who you are in Christ. It's in the second hour, so you could go right into it. All of you can't because there's not room, so never mind. Uh, so we can't pray effectively until we align ourselves with the will of God, and God will never answer a prayer that violates his will, that violates his word. Colossians 1.9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That is a long sentence. You didn't even notice that, did you? For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just as Jesus prayed in the garden before his crucifixion. In the garden, the, the, I would say it's in a sense the final temptation For Christ to abandon what he came to do. Because he was slain before the foundation of the world. This was, this, this is, Jesus dying on the cross is not plan B. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't say, oh, now what are we going to do? From the foundation of the world, he's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus died on the cross for you and I before the worlds were spoken into existence. He died for you. So as he goes into the garden, he says to the disciples, hey, I'm going to go up here and pray and uh, stay here and wait. And, and isn't it interesting? None of them said, hey, can we go with you? He's really troubled. They can tell he's troubled. He's really troubled. He's in sorrow. And he goes up to pray, and he comes back, and they're asleep. And he says, bunch of goobers. Could you not wait, tarry with me one hour? And so he, he goes back up to pray again. And they go back to sleep. And he says, you know, the spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. And he, so Jesus is struggling. And I think it's in Luke, it talks about that, that he sweat like drops of blood. He sweat drops of blood. This is like he's going into shock. So he's, he's beginning in these moments the weight 
of this cup. The cup. What is the cup? It's the cup of the it's the cup of the judgment of God. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of judgment from me. That the judgment, the wrath of God. So he's going to drink the cup of the wrath of God. And and it's the weight of it is already beginning. This is way before the cross. I mean, hours before the cross. And so it's not just on the cross. He's already begun to, he's, and what what makes this powerful is that he still has the opportunity to to abdicate. He can still say, I'm not doing this. I mean, he's going to do it. Because he's not going to yield to sin. But he's, he's, the temptation is there. And, and it, and he knows that there's going to, he's going to carry our death and he's going to carry our sins. And more than that, he's going to carry our separation from God, our eternal separation from God. What you get if you don't know God is eternal separation from God. And he's going to carry, in that moment, he's going to carry everyone's separation from God. And he says, Father, if it, if it be your will, let this cup of the wrath of God pass from me. And he says, Yet not my will, but yours be done. And in the Christian life, there is going to be a struggle. There's going to be the struggle where we struggle with, with our will and God's will. What we want in the moment, what we think we need right now, what we want right now, and what God's will is, and we struggle, and we should pray, we need to pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done in my life. This is a costly prayer for Jesus. And it's a costly prayer for believers. If you pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done, it doesn't mean that he'll send you to Africa. You know, we're, I think we're afraid to pray these prayers. Lord, I, Lord I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but not there. I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord, and uh, I was, it was a revival meeting, so you know they had, back in the old day, we used to have church every night, and people would actually come every night, and it was like, you know, I'd, so I'd gotten saved on the first night uh, of the revival, and I went back the next night, and, and they always had altar times, and so at the end of the service, I went down for altar time, and, uh, and I said, Lord, I, I'll, I give you my life. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. And in that moment, it was just as, to me, it was like God was speaking audibly. It wasn't, nobody else heard it, but it was in my heart. I heard God say, I'm calling you to be a pastor. And my response was, is there anything else? <laughs> okay, what? Okay, I'll do anything you want me to do. Is there a second choice? You know, and, that, and, that, and so we, we struggle. You know, a lot of times God will say, so if, see, if God calls you to Africa, by the time you get to Africa, you'll want to be there. It will be, the, it will be the desire of your heart. In other words, God will change your heart. He will align your heart with his. I can tell you that the greatest joy of my life has been being a pastor. It's the, I mean, it's the, 
I don't know. I, I wouldn't have had a life without it. I mean, you know, I would have, but it was God's call on my life, and it's been the greatest joy of my life. It's never been, I would say, okay, there's been a few moments of drudgery, <laughs> and there's been some really difficult days. But even in the midst of difficult days, I knew it's exactly where God wanted me to be. So he's going to ask of you, what's he going to ask of you? Joyful obedience. Like the, how do the angels obey? Joyfully. 100%, like in heaven. He's gonna, he's gonna, he wants to align your, your ways to his ways. He's going to shove you out of your comfort zone. When you say, God, not my will, but yours be done, he says, okay. Watch this. Oh, well, I can't do that. You're right, you can't. I mean, you know, that was the second time Tim ever preached. In, you know, in public, he's preaching to... Lauren and you know all the time but, but you can't it's recognizing that that what God is asking for is not ability but availability that we trust him with ability we, we always want to say, we want to think well God I'm not qualified but God God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called the most important thing is to have a yes in your heart to God. So God's going God's to shove you out of your comfort zone to do things you wouldn't have done. You wouldn't have the, you wouldn't, he's going to challenge you to have courage and faith where you were afraid to go before because you felt like you were alone. But now you're going to have courage because you're going you're gonna to be with the Lord. You're going to feel like the Lord is with you. So you're, you're gonna, it's going to change you're going to have courage where before you had fear because now you're going with the Lord. If the Lord's not going to go with you, you better not go. So that's how we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray, Lord, we want to see the, your reign not only in our life. We ask, Lord, for you to take authority over everything in our life. And, Lord, we want your will to be done. I submit to your will because God's will is always the best way. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus came to set at liberty those that are bound. Tim touched on that earlier in prayer because it's one of the areas that we were going to talk about today. The Spirit of God was leading him because some of you, you're, you're, you're still bound. Son of man came to set at liberty those that are bound. He came to set the captives free. He came to open blind eyes. Jesus wants you to be free of everything the enemy has done to you in the past. He wants you to be free of its, of its, of its memory, its pain, its the remnant of it. How you will associate the pain from the past into something in the present. How you will take old wounds and tie them into new wounds. And what God wants to do is He wants to break that. He wants to set you free. In the name of Jesus. 
Jesus came to set the captives free. That means to set, it means he wants to put you in a place where you haven't been because of what he has done. So if you need that today, I want you to just, just reach out and take it in the name of Jesus. Just hold your hands out like this, you know, like I'm receiving something. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, you came to set the captives free. And I've let, I've let the past hold me in bondage too long. I've let the past be, be a prison. When you have come and opened the doors, you have exonerated me. The price and the debt has been fully paid. I owe nothing to the past. And you've come to set me free. And Father, I want to walk in the the victory that you came to give me. I want to walk in the freedom of the sons of God. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I want to walk in that. I believe, Father, you're going to remove the oppression in my mind from the past. And then I just proclaim in my life, this is the favorable year of the Lord. This is the favorable year of the Lord. This is the year of God's favor. It's not coming. It's here. Because of what Jesus has done. Just just say that. This is the favorable year year of the Lord. Try that again. This is the favorable year of the Lord for me. In Jesus' name, amen.